Hey everyone, I too want to welcome you to this service of the Hershey Free Church and wish you a happy Mother's Day. Some of you are new to our church, and if you're watching on Sunday morning, I'd love to meet you right after this service. We'll have a, a live Zoom chat right after this service, so if you want to jump on or if you just want to jump on and have further conversation about the service, please join me right after this service. You'll find the link in the, the notes. I also want to draw your attention to the fact that we, we have a weekly devotional guide, and you can find that at hfcinfo.com, just a way to kind of talk further among uh, your family or with your kids about uh, the service and the things that we are talking about. Well, as we get started this morning, let me ask you this question. Do, do you remember the experience of learning to drive? Some of you, maybe you're learning to drive this summer, so that's going to be a highlight for you over, over the next couple of months. For me, I, I learned to drive through driver's ed at my high school. And so I think at that began with about three weeks of in-class lectures. But after the in-class lectures, that's when the experience really got real for me, because that's when I actually started driving with a driving instructor. I still, I still remember the first day of being behind the wheel with that instructor in the car. Believe it or not, within 10 minutes, he had me driving on an eight-lane expressway. I, I just remember that, that sense of trying to keep up with the traffic. So let me ask you this. If you remember that experience, was, was it something like this? Do you, do you, do you know those experiences where you've gone from kind of sitting and learning something to actually doing and applying? Do you know those kinds of experiences? Here's the reason that I ask. Over the last few weeks, we've been tracing this theme of living in hope. And we've been looking at the, the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. It's a place where Paul talks about hope. And we've been wrestling with how do we live in hope in the midst of this challenging circumstance that that we are facing. And, and so we've been working our way through this passage where Paul says we are saved in hope. And this morning we come to the last message in this series. We come to the closing paragraph of this section of the book. And in a real sense, it's it's the place where Paul kind of turns to us and says, okay, I've been talking about what it means to live in hope, and now now you need to get behind the wheel. Now I really want you to take ownership of this in your own life on an everyday basis. And so this is the part where Paul really invites us to be part of the conversation. This is the part where he Paul really brings us in to what he's been talking about. And one of the ways he does that is by asking a series of questions. So, uh, for instance, in verse 31, he says, what shall we say in response to these things? In other words, he's, he's drawing us into the conversation. And then, then he asks uh, additional questions throughout this paragraph. If, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Who then is the one who condemns? Who shall separate us from, from the love of Christ? And once again, Paul's drawing us into the conversation and he wants to, us to think about these questions and, and all of these questions have an expected response. I mean, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, well, no one. I mean, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? And Paul says, well, no one, because it's God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? Well, we, we can't be condemned as followers of Christ because he's died for us. He's been raised. He's seated at the right hand of God. And, and who, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Well, Paul says no one can do that if you're a follower of Jesus. So, so Paul is, is drilling down on the reality of this hope that we have through, through the good news of Jesus Christ. But even as he draws us in, I think Paul is... 
Paul is also aware of an underlying challenge that you and I face when it comes to living in hope. There's an underlying challenge that you and I face if we're going to take all that we've been talking about seriously. And and here's, here's the challenge. The challenge is this. So how do hope and hardship go together, right? I mean, so think about these two things. How do... How do hardships and, and hope go together? I mean, how can, how can we be people of hope when we're, you know, when we're having to deal with the unexpected realities that we've had to deal with over the last few weeks? How can we be people of hope when a lot of things in our lives have changed and we don't know when it's going to be different or, or when it's going to improve? So, so how do hope and hardships go together? How can we be people of hope when we're facing unexpected realities. If we're honest, I think it's often our experience that these two these two things are inversely related. That is, the more we have of one, the less we have of the other. So if, you know, if life is going pretty well and the hardships are at a minimum, then it's, it's easy to be hopeful. But as, as life becomes more difficult and the hardships become more paramount, it, it seems it's natural that our hope dwindles. Perhaps this has been the experience for you over these last two months. I mean, maybe we started out and, you know, hey, it's kind of neat to be camping out at home and to work from home. And you were more or less hopeful. But as as this has gone on and on and on, it's like the, the hardships have become more significant. And it just feels like you've been drained of hope. So so how can these two go together? Well, um, I, I appreciate the fact that, that, it, that in this passage, Paul, I think, hand, he, he handles this challenge head on. And one of the ways he does that is he acknowledges really a couple of different things that can rob us of our hope. He, he addresses two types of hardships that can uh, really take our hope from us. Let me make this work for me. So here are, the, here are the kind of two uh, types of hardships that Paul addresses. First of all, he acknowledges the reality of, of condemnation. Paul actually starts the chapter by dealing with the topic of condemnation in verse 1. He says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then he comes to the topic of condemnation again in, in verse 34 when he says, who is the one who condemns? But the very fact that he asks this question is an acknowledgement that, that for some, some of us, this is one of those things that robs us of our hope. The, the, a sense, an internal sense that, that we're condemned. I mean, for, for some of us, we just wrestle with the reality of, of how God can be at work in our lives because of our, our sin and brokenness. I think at times we, you know, we see the dark places, the thoughts, the attitudes, the behaviors in our lives and and with that just comes a certain sense of, of condemnation. Furthermore, for some of us, there are things in our past, maybe things done to us that are deep sources of shame, of hurt, condemnation. Likewise, uh, maybe you've been in experiences where uh, you feel like you're in a relationship where, where you're being judged or you're, you're not actually making the mark. You're falling short and you feel that's the way other people look at you. And so these these feelings of of condemnation can be something that really rob us of our hope. Furthermore, not only in this passage does Paul talk about condemnation, he also talks about opposition. 
We read further, and he, he mentions things like trouble and hardship, persecution, hunger. Interestingly, these are some of the very thing, same things that, that he has experienced as a follower of Christ, the, the opposition of others. Maybe you know some of that as well, kind of feeling like, you know, for some reason other people are against you. Our circumstances are stacked against you. And sometimes these, these, these situations are very discouraging because they, they feel undeserved. You know, you're finishing the semester now or you just finished it. You're having to do it online and, and you're just convinced there's this one teacher that just doesn't like you. Maybe you're in a, in a toxic work environment and you're wondering what that's going to be like when we go back to work or when things resume after this pandemic. Maybe you've got some really complicated family relationships and those have only intensified during the coronavirus. And so we, we face kind of hardships and opposition, difficult circumstances, and these are things that easily drain us of our hope. Interestingly, as Paul talks about this, he actually quotes a passage from a psalm of lament, Psalm 44, where the psalmist writes, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And so the psalmist is, is just reflecting on these situations that have drained him of his hope. So again, the question is, how do, how do hope and hardship go together? How can we be people who hope in the midst of hardships that come our way. Well, Paul's, Paul's all-embracing response to that question, his answer to that question is, is simply this. It's the love of God. Paul says, you know what? You and I, we can, we can be people of hope and hardship because as followers of Christ, you and I are deeply loved by God. And, and here's what, here's what I think we need to see in this passage as we kind of come to the conclusion. We need to see that the reality of his love shapes the vitality of our hope. The reality of his love shapes the vitality of our hope. If we are to be people that have hope, even in the midst of all of this uncertainty and confusion, then we need to be people deeply rooted in the gospel, people deeply rooted in the love of God. And so Paul, he acknowledges, you know, these things that can rob us of our hope. But every time he does that, he also reminds us of the reality of, of God's love. So, for instance, once again, Paul talks about that, that feeling of being condemned, that feeling of condemnation. And for some of you, this is kind of maybe where you're stuck and this is where you can get stuck. Feeling that you fall short, feeling that you don't measure up, feeling that you are condemned. And, and yet to, to people who feel that way, Paul says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. It's like Paul looks at us and says, look, you know, I know you can feel like a failure. I know you can feel like someone who falls short, someone who doesn't measure up. But no one can, no one can bring a charge against those whom God has chosen. 
Paul uses an interesting phrase here, he who did not spare his own son. That phrase is actually an, es- an echo of an Old Testament passage, Genesis 22. You remember that scene where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac and God intervenes and provides a ram for the sacrifice. Interestingly, the, uh, the rest of this paragraph includes several other Old Testament allusions as well. And I think together what these Old Testament allusions are doing is they're, they're showing us that this love of God is rooted in God's covenantal faithfulness, his faithfulness to keep his promises. So when, when Paul describes the work of Christ here, he is showing that the, the cross and the resurrection are the result of the fact that God will be faithful to finish what he has started. God will be faithful to his covenant, covenant promises to his people. So if you, you are a follower of Jesus, the weight of your sin has already been addressed on the cross. The weight of your sin has already been addressed by the one who died in your place. Thus, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Likewise, you know, Paul acknowledges those, those hardships, that opposition, those difficult circumstances that that can drain us of our hope, yet in doing so, he also reminds us of God's love, and he says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And the answer is, well, nothing. In fact, he, he closes this 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 section in a powerful way by saying nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And and here's what Paul is getting at. I think on on the one hand, he is acknowledging, he's confirming the fact that, you know what, in our lives, we're going to face hardships and setbacks and (laughs) difficulties and, and now at least one pandemic. We shouldn't be surprised by that. But he's also saying, regardless of what you face, Nothing can rob you of the love of God. Nothing can thwart the work of God in your life through his love. Now, as we think about these kinds of hardships, even as we think about what we've been going through in this pandemic, I think we have to acknowledge that these experiences, they do, they do rob us of hope at times. And furthermore, they, they increase our level of fear. But once again, Paul wants us to see that none of this can overwhelm the love of God. Do this, do this with me for a moment. Um, answer this question. So what's, what's your greatest fear right now? I mean, just right now, what is, what's, what is, what's the greatest fear in your life? Perhaps that, that fear is, is related to this pandemic. Maybe it's related to your, your job status. You know, you, you're not quite sure you're going to be able to go back to work or what it will look like. And maybe there's been, you know, you've had to take a cut in pay and you don't know what that's going to look like moving forward. So maybe your, your greatest fear right now is, is related to your job or your finances. Maybe it is related to your health, wondering perhaps because you're in a high risk group, whether or not you're going to get this virus. Maybe your greatest fear right now is something longer standing. It has to deal with uh, some of the relationships in your life, a family issue. Maybe that's even more complicated now. So think about that great fear in your life for a moment. 
But as you think about that fear, acknowledge this. Whatever that fear is, if you were a follower of Christ, it's, it's no match for God's love. Whatever that fear is, it cannot inhibit God's love from being at work in your life. In fact, I think this is part of the reason why Paul says this. No, in all these things, right? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Once again, he's stressing that, that our hardships will never separate us from God's love. They won't hinder his ability to be for us. That's why he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Now, as I've said before, this isn't to minimize the reality of these hardships and the challenges of the things we sometimes face. But what it does mean is this. Even in those circumstances, God is still for us. Even in those circumstances, God's love is still at work. Remember what, what Paul said earlier in this text as he was talking about frustrating circumstances and the groaning of creation. He, he referred to those groanings and that frustration as, as labor pains, as birth pains. They're, they're things that really hurt, but they're also things that lead to something good. So Paul looks at our troubles, our hardships, this opposition and says, you know, th- these, these are really tough things. But they won't triumph over God's love. They're, they're birth pains because they're leading to the ultimate triumph of God's love, which we will finally experience in the new heavens and the new earth. So Paul wants us to see the, the hardships that you and I are facing. They're, they're not roadblocks. They're birth pains because God's love is still at work. So how can we be people who are living in hope, even in hard circumstances? We can be those kind of people by people, by being people who are deeply rooted in the gospel, by being people who are deeply rooted in God's love. And I realize for some of us, just saying that, it, it, it falls flat. You know, I, maybe you say, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm loved by God. And for some of us, we, we, we really wonder, um, can God love me? Or we feel like a God's love is dependent on our performance or how we're doing. So to say we need to be rooted in God's love feels flat. It feels deficient. And if that's where you're at this, this morning or whenever you're watching this service, let me, let me just ask you another somewhat rather odd question. And the question is this. Uh, did you did you have a favorite toy growing up? Some of you kids that are watching, you know, what's your favorite toy right now? Did you have a favorite toy growing up? You know, when our sons were growing up, one of our sons had a favorite toy. It was a plastic saxophone, and it looked something like this. It was a saxophone that we actually bought at a garage sale. And, and when we got it, several of the buttons didn't work, so it was it was broken from the moment it was part of our family. Well, at the time we were living in England and we reached that point where we were going to be moving back. And as we prepared to move back, we had to downsize almost everything because we were only coming back with a few suitcases. So packing space was as a, at a premium. So I looked at this and I was just, it was, it was going in the discard pile. We didn't have room for it, but my two year old son was adamant. We had to bring back the saxophone. It had to come back with us. So that saxophone made the long journey back 
from the United Kingdom to the United States. But understand this, it, it didn't make the journey because it was perfect. It made the journey because it was deeply loved. And you know, I think as followers of Christ, we need to understand that God's love for us is it's not rooted in our performance. God's love for us is, is rooted in his character. It is rooted in his covenantal faithfulness to his promises. So now as we start this new week and <laughs> this new week and this season that we don't know how long is going to last, as we start this new week, may you and I, may we be people who live in hope because we are deeply rooted in the gospel, because we are deeply rooted in God's love. May this week be a time when, when you face certain fears, perhaps, that come to your mind. May it be a time when you challenge those fears with the truth, the truth that they're not roadblocks. They're simply birth pains because God's love will not be thwarted. So this time, this week, as we begin the next week in this journey of this pandemic, may we be people who experience the reality of his love in such a way that it truly strengthens our hope. Let's pray together. Gracious God, as we uh, continue this journey through this pandemic, I think for many of us, we have experienced the reality that the the hope has started to drain. And yet in the midst of that, I pray that even this next week, we can be reminded of the truth of your love. We can be reminded of the fact that as we are grounded in that love, it will strengthen the vitality of our hope. So we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in light of his work, we can be people of hope even in the midst of hardship. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.